And we're back with another installment of the Pals Podcast. Wait, who is that? Oh, it's your co-host, Ricky Liorti, back on the air. Okay, back in the <laughs> intro booth. I love it. I love it. I don't need to call in this time because we figured out a new way. Well, I guess technically I'm still calling in, but. But yeah, we uh, we tried a new platform here. Went a little Skype call with, uh, with a new guest this week. You want to tell them who our guest was, Rick? I would love to. Our good friend, Ollie Shanks. Uh, you might know him. He went to Western. He's a longtime friend of ours. We've been doing promo parties. Now he's gone on to some other exciting things. Uh, if you know him, you know he's a great guy. Lots of fun. And um, I don't think you'd hear many people that would say anything negative about him. Maybe that they might they might have missed a couple mornings of work because of him. <laughs> That's a fair assessment. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Like, he took us through uh, kind of his evolution from promotion to ownership in uh, in a pretty well-known establishment uh, restaurant in Toronto. Kind of what he's been doing uh, on the side with managing a pretty pretty world-renowned DJ. And uh, we shared some stories about our, our times back in London. It was a fun conversation. Yeah, uh, we got to give our plug give a plug to our big uh, our amazing sponsors, Elberry and Goose. Rick, how do you feel about Elberry and Goose? What do you think about? Oh, the honestly, I love them. Been getting a lot of quality feedback. People been uh, commenting on the shirt, the sweater, and the hat. I've been wearing them basically every day while I'm in quarantine here. So, uh, again, truly unique, entirely Canadian, great products. Check them out. We'll tag you, them in the co- in the description below. You know what products are my favorite? They sent us a, cu- a few bars of soap, which are probably coming in handy considering that I like sit on the couch all day and I smell <laughs> a little bit homeless. But their coffee scrub soap bar is honestly incredible. Like it, if you, if I think you have one, Rick. I don't know if you tried it yet, but I highly recommend it. Uh, and I plugged this last time, but their candles are, are amazing. Keeps the house smelling fresh this time. Love it, love it. Check them right. out. Support your local brands. And Georgie, what do we say? LFG, baby. Let's go. Welcome on to the Pals Podcast. The Pals. It's Boys. good to finally have you on. We've been talking about it for a while, and it's a little unfortunate the circumstances we're in, but it's about time we got you on. Yeah, I know. I'm excited to be on it. Obviously, Ricky, you've been talking a ton about it since I've seen you out more than ever uh, these <laughs> days, and like, I'm just happy to obviously support, give whatever knowledge, and just have some fun with you guys on this thing, finally. Oh, that's nice, man. It's honestly like I, I don't like, I don't talk to many people now that we're like quarantine. It's ma- most, mostly work all day, and then the odd call with Rick and stuff. So it's nice to hear uh, hear a new from a new uh, a new voice, but an old friend. So excited to hear your takes on what's going on, Ollie. Yeah, Georgie, it's obviously good to reconnect with you too. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while, man. It's been it's a been while. a been a couple of years since you guys did back to back sets at Cobra London, eh? <laughs> Oh, the buddy. good old days. The good old days. I was looking through those uh, Facebook pictures the other day, right? Because you just get lost in translation when you're just scrolling through the good old days. And yeah, let me that. tell you, there's some good beauty shots. <laughs> when, Man, I you, weigh, when I used to weigh like a nice buck 215, oh, <laughs> long hair too, trying to copy you, George. But it looks like your hair's back now. So you're, You were the originator, buddy. You had crazy flow. <laughs> you know, honestly, it's funny. Like I, when, now that I, after the first couple of years out of London, like after university and everything, I didn't really miss DJing at first when I kind of stopped doing it. But then like the last couple of years, you start to think like, what if I kept doing it? Or like, you know, what if we stuck it out? All that stuff. And it comes back a little bit. I was kind of reminiscing a little bit lately. Buddy, I still have your Geom B, Calvin Harris, whatever that mashup you made. <laughs> you, did it, did it, did it. That one was fire. Absolute Man. fire. I have not listened to those tracks in a, in a while. I'm about to Bang. Oh, I'm we're going to have to dig up the SoundCloud account. Uh, I have to use some of those mashups for our intro music. I think we have to for this episode. It'd only be fitting. You know, honestly, you know what? Let me look into that. I might have to do it. <laughs> you know what's funny? I was actually looking on Facebook for a picture of the three of us, and I couldn't find one. Like, I'm like, how is this possible that I can't find a picture of us three together? Considering we did Fridays at Cobra for a full year, plus all the other parties we did. 
I couldn't right. find one. So crazy. Yeah, yeah, man. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has been. Well, I guess, hey, this is but a good I'll spot be... to start. Yeah, like, George, go ahead. A good spot to start. What did you just a say there? A good spot to start. A stroke, Rick. Um, <laughs> no, but you know what's actually interesting, too? Like, Ollie, you you did come to Toronto. Like, we're, we were kind of – I mean, I grew up in Saga, but we're both from here. But when we left university, you kind of – you moved out of London, too, pretty recently after, around the time we did, too, no? Uh, I think I moved out of there a little bit. I, I think I stayed another year – in a year and a half in London, because I still had the business going. I was still running the Jim Bob Ray's days back then. And then when they switched over, when they decided to let me know out of nowhere to, that they were switching into a brew house, like a brew pub, then I kind of was like, okay, it's time to get out of here. And then in 2015, May 2015 is when I made the move all the way to Toronto. Well, yeah, you were still doing the, uh, was it the Leprechaun Stumble? Uh, yeah, so we still had that role, and me and Kyle um, still had a few entities rolling back in London, and the Leprechaun Stumble was obviously still one of our big ones, our like one-off events that we still did every year on St. Patrick's Day, the big pub crawl that we used to do. Right. And what, like, what enticed you to leave London? I mean, you know, because uh, you're from there, uh, right? You grew up born and raised there, like we're. Was it just like you wanted a new challenge, a new chapter? What what motivated you? Yeah, it was kind of just a bit of both. You kind of hit the ceiling. Well, when you're dealt with like some, well, basically, hey, we're closing up shop. Uh, we don't really have use for you. And then you kind of sit there and you debate. And I literally, I remember sitting, like leaving, uh, leaving the meeting with Mike Smith that owned Jim Bob's and Joe Cool's and basically telling us that there would be no room for us. And then I kind of just sat there like at my house being like, oh no, what am I going to do? And just like my first reactions, there have just been so many, so much interest of me already coming to Toronto and people like reaching out to me being like, hey, you should come do a party here. You should like come support my event. And I said, you know what? Maybe I'll make a call. And the funny thing was, was I actually called Mickey, like one of the first people I did. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Toronto. I see that you're like doing lost and found stuff. Uh, what do you think about me coming in, like working with you and Mickey out of like nowhere is like, Hey, I actually was thinking about you the other day because we want to actually launch a Thursday night because Mickey had his Mondays and then his like Fridays, Fridays and Saturdays, Saturdays yeah. which I think you guys were working. Or yeah, we did something. the Saturdays. Yeah. Right. And then he was like, you're a totally new look for what we're going for and what our parties are. He's like, you bring this like word for word, this white boy drunk <laughs> Western attitude that the club does not have whatsoever. So let's try it out and see where it goes. And I was like, okay. And I remember just like getting all this like organized. Like I didn't have a house. I was dating a girl at the time. I like had to stay at her parents' house for like the first three weeks, which, oh, that made me awkward, <laughs> awkward, awkward roll-ins when I'm coming in at, like, 3 in the morning. Uh, yeah, I'll be walking in at yeah, 3 a.m., just uh, absolutely tuned. Oh, yeah, just blackout city, waking up on the <laughs> kitchen counter. Anyway, funny stories. But anyway, yeah, he gave me my first shot, and then that's where we started the Lost and Found Thursdays, and it started to actually become a thing, and that was my whole, like, my introduction into Toronto, really. And what'd you do after Lost and Found Thursdays? After Lost and Found, I... Didn't I, we do yeah. Cobra Saturdays together, too? Was Cobra in still around? And the, I can't remember. Well, no, it was... Um, it changed names. Uh, it just shut down recently, didn't it? What the heck was the name of it? Oh, um, I forget. It'll come, I, I can't remember. Yeah, the it'll come to us. But, uh, no, so at that time, after the Thursdays, then I, obviously, Josh Seaton and John C. reached out to me about like doing the Fridays with them at Brooklyn. So then I started that. Yeah. And then shortly Didn't after- Didn't you guys have the Mickeys? You sold Mickeys there or Ponies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brooklyn's big thing was, yeah, the Mickey bottles and just like $5 cover. It was like, the, it was a great like West End party. And it actually worked out perfectly because I was living in Queen West when I first, after I moved out of the Gulf <laughs> and friend, uh, parent house, then I moved, got an apartment with my buddy in Queen West. And then Wait, did they up. kick you out or did you move out? 
I openly moved out because it's kind of like, it's like how much more food can Oliver eat from the fridge at this time of the, you know? No, they they like, wake up and you've got bagel bites in the in the oven? Yeah, dude. Like, it, it no, eventually you just kind of, you know, it's like you feel like a burden. And it's yeah. like, okay, I need to go, like, live my own life. So my buddy is like, hey, I'm moving out too. So we got an apartment. And then, like, obviously we just threw, like, massive pre-drinks before we head over to Brooklyn. Which very is, nice, very nice. Yeah. And how have you liked it? I mean, like, obviously, I'm sure there's a lot more that's happened since then. But, like, when you're first a little bit in Toronto, did you find it was a big adjustment? But or, or were you, like, kind of in your element because you have experienced hospitality? How did you feel first making the move out here? It was probably one of the most nerve-wracking things that I've ever done. Because, like, you know, you're obviously going into a city. You, you're obviously scared of failure at the first bit, like you are with any new business or, like, any new venture that you're doing. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have a crowd. I don't know if people are going to come support me. Um, the friends that you made at Western that went to Toronto, you haven't really connected with them in a long time, but you still have a name. And it's kind of weird that actually I was talking with a buddy not too long ago, but he's like, if you go to Western or you're in London and you're like within the Western community and you know at a party or you're a well-known name and you're doing stuff, then like it translates pretty far. And like, I, I don't know the clicks that you make and the friends that you make, it's just like they stay with you or it's like you have a reputable name. So anyway, it was, yeah, it was difficult to start, but like, yeah, it now just thinking about it now, it was, it was, it was a weird, weird way to come in, but it was, yeah. You got to kind of take a leap of faith too, right? I mean, you, you had a point too, like in London, you might, you might, you might, obviously gym box closed, but you might've been at like a crossroads and, and obviously Toronto, naturally a bigger city opens up more avenues. So exactly. I'm, sh I'm sure it's gotta be scary. Like, you know, you don't want to come in here and then, you know, not just be, not just fail, but you know, you come in and fail when you're, it's kind of your area of expertise, but you know, good for you for taking that jump and that challenge. Cause like in the last few years you've been running with it from what I understand. And you've done some new exciting things, which is, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And just, I guess like you're, you're, you know, you're just like jumping in with two feet and just go, go, go. Obviously it's, you want to do as much as you can. And then coming in, working with those people to start with, then I was just looking for more people. Like my, I just set more goals for myself saying, Hey, I want to work with like the bigger entertainment companies, the bigger venues. Uh, and then once I started to conquer that, that moved like, obviously like working with those bigger guys. Like if you think of your ink entertainments, obviously Maddie yeah. with unique and all those people, and when you work with those like higher end people and the like industry leaders, and then eventually that all led into my whole like, oh, like let me, once you get comfortable and you build that base after that like year and a bit, then that's when like the bigger events start happening and wanting to do bigger things. It, yeah. And Ollie, I was going to say, cause it's interesting that you mentioned even how you were in London and then you came here and you weren't sure cause you're proud cause everybody that goes out has their guy or their guys, you know, like, Always. You're, you know, everyone's got their promoter that they think is the best promoter. They got the best hookups, you know, and there's, especially for the London crowd, there's always those set few in Toronto, you know, like Kirby's got his big London crew still like right. from back in the day. There's, there were so many people. And when you come here, I guess, come back to Toronto, at least for us. And when you came to Toronto, you start doing a couple events here, little smaller events. Then you get, you kind of graduate to those, the Inc. Entertainments, the Uniques, the Liberty Groups, the John Doe Groups, and, and those guys, the bigger groups. Right. And then it's kind of, from there, it starts, okay, now these massive events, right? So you done you did some big St. Paddy's Day ones. Everyone's got their big Halloween events, their big uh, Boxing Day events. So it, yeah, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, it's just basically, you just kind of level up each time. And then the people that you're meeting, then obviously you're meeting all these different cliques of people from other friend groups, like... I would be meeting your friends and then your friends would bring their friends. And then obviously it just like, it naturally just progresses like that. And then like when those other bigger events happen, you're obviously signed on to go do them. And obviously, first of all, you want to make money. Second of all, it's like you're part of the bigger and the best parties, which is also a massive thing as well. And then after that, you just kind of like start building your name and your credibility. And then eventually that's when people start giving you more trust. And then obviously when you build a name, like well then obviously the credibility for like when you start to host your own events people then will come buy tickets or want to come support or come be a part of it just because of it yeah even sponsors too right like right. people don't think about that but if you're a random joe schmo and you're trying to get sponsorship for a big party you're doing 
it's borderline impossible. It, it, no it really is. It really is. And it's, and it's all creating those relationships. And then once, like, because when I first started out trying to get, like, some sponsorships for an event or just, like, someone to come support the party, it's more around the bar, not the actual person. But then in my later years, doing up all the parties, and once you start to see actually everyone kind of growing up together and people seeing where you came from and what you've done, and they're like, hey, we want to actually come support you now, it makes it that much easier. But, yeah, sponsorship at the beginning was... <laughs> You impossible. And oh, yeah. yeah, impossible. Oh, yeah. Well, some of these big events you're talking about, Aldi, like what of of all the ones that you were have been involved with are currently involved with, what's your, your favorite event to kind of run and be a part of? Whether it's like the most exciting from the party side, the most stuff goes on behind the scenes, like which one's been your favorite so far? Um ooh, ooh, ooh. Your birthday last year was, or two years ago, was unreal. Yeah, like, it's so hard because I guess, like, through the five years now that I've been inside the city, I've been a part of so many of, like, ones, ah, man, that's that's tough. But obviously, one of my first, first bigger, like, working with SPD as Ricky, you always come out of retirement for. <laughs> that's literally one of my favorite yeah, parties of the year it is it is like working with those guys and knowing them for years and doing stuff with that that was a lot of fun because that was the first time we produced like kind of like an outdoor style event out at rebel that was the year before they actually moved it indoors yeah and like producing something like that with them and like being involved that was super fun such a fun day and everyone in like a massive tent wearing green same pra- same Patrick's Day always holds like a special place in my heart, obviously doing events and best memories ever. Um, over the last little bit, uh, I now uh, produce something called the Greenwood Stakes, which is obviously uh, something out at uh, Woodbine Racetrack, which is kind of like a derby style event, which we focus in on cocktails, fashion, and just uh, obviously horse racing. So got to be involved with that over the last two years and producing that has been probably a pretty huge highlight of mine. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Ricky, Ricky, you'd been down, no? I I've, I haven't been to it, but... Um... No, do you know what? I think I got sick last year or something. I, I can't remember why I couldn't go because I've got, as weird as it is, I've got like five outfits that are perfect for these kind of events. So like, <laughs> my, yeah, my you were sending them the other day. You were sending them the other day. So <laughs> once we get custom made... And the best part is, too, is that Ricky's always like, dude, you have a million things on your calendar. I have never seen a guy have more events in a calendar in my life. Man, so, I, hate, I hate doing nothing. I can't sit still and do nothing. <laughs> like, this, this quarantine life is just driving me insane. And this like guy you can tell by my TikToks. And this guy calls me the FOMO king, but this guy can't have an empty day in his calendar. Never mind, empty day, empty hour in his calendar. And that's the thing. So it's like for me to actually get a reservation to one of my events to make sure that he has it, like I have to come at him two years in advance, and I'm going to be like, these are the dates, dude. You have to be there for this. Like it's, it, it's gutting when, it, when it's like, oh, man, I can't make it because you know the energy that you bring to it, right? Uh, it, it's well, just parlor, like, our Parlor Sunday was the best example, man. Oh, man. That... We, we turned that parlor pre-drink into an absolute 500 person or however many people ended up showing up Sunday and, fun and, day. And, and, yeah, and, and for you to be the person, of, like, you literally, like, <laughs> I was like, no, let's, let's, let's go to locals only. I mean, uh, laws be fair. Let's go. And you're like, no, bro, we're going to throw the party here. <laughs> At my place. I'm like, no, man, like, we're going. You're like, no, we're throwing it. And then guys convinced me just to turn up the music and rip it. And then next thing you know, we have a Sunday party. And wow. That's wow. awesome. Yeah, I, missed the, I, I missed out on that one a little bit. A little sour about that. Rick, Rick did invite me too, but I unfortunately declined the invite, which I do regret <laughs> now. But um, speaking, of, speaking of which, though, since we're kind of on the topic of parlor, like how did you get involved there? What, where did that? Uh, Crazy kind of- thing. So when I was then what was it about a year and a half ago in the end of 2018, I met, uh, the main partners, uh, Sean and, uh, Alfred, uh, who's the GM there. And they were out here just doing scouting and doing the build on the actual location. And my, my partners with the Greenwood stakes who are actually from Vancouver and Alfred and Sean are actually from Vancouver. So the original parlor actually is in Yale town which they created about, I think it's like six, seven years ago. I could be totally wrong. Maybe it's 10. 
But anyway, I got I met them just at a little uh, dinner meetup that we had when we were all out here. And uh, then Sean reached out to me, just kind of asking, wanted to know who I was. Went to the venue when it was literally bare bones, nothing. He walked me through it all, his vision and everything else. And at the time, I just like was kind of leaving at like I was leaving my like promo because I was making just a decision in my life to just like leave promotion and get into ownership myself. And then from there, with just the vision that Sean had and just the team that they had in place. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to learn from these guys. And like, kind of, this is like the evolution of who I was wanting to be. And just with my career, because eventually, and the way that I've seen a lot of things move throughout the industry is that like bars and clubs are only few and far between and only you people want to go them to so much. But now you see like the more restaurant type bars that are opening and like people building a vibe around that. So they gave me the opportunity to come on to be like a consultant for them to come in, like basically run all of their marketing, all of their nightlife, all of like to give them actually a name. And uh, we rolled with it when they, op- well, we were supposed to open up in May of 2019, but they had, we had just had issues with the liquor licensing and just like with the new business. So then when we got to open up by the end of May, beginning of June, we hit the ground running and yeah, the rest is like, as you can see now of all the success that we've had from everything from our, like from not only amazing food that we do, but just like the vibe and our parties that we've been throwing has been like, obviously really, really good. What, what's been the biggest, I guess, like maybe not challenge, but kind of the biggest eye opener from going from the, like the promoting side to going to like a stake in ownership. Do you, are you seeing things that you're like, wow, I never, like, I had no idea this goes into it. Is there something that t- t- particularly that stuck out to you that kind of surprised you? Um, yeah, probably like everything in a way, because before you're running like no risks, right? Like you're kind of just like working for someone else. But then with ownership, there's just so much more that ties you around the brand where it's just like, it's like your entity. So it's just like you, you want to help support this place. You want to make sure that it's like everything that you want it to be. Right. So there was like a few things that like, there's just different things that you have to lay it down on paper because obviously there's a lot more expenses and everything else involved with running like these big operations. And these guys have been doing it forever. So me learning just from them over the last little while had been just like everything that I wanted before I actually like settled in and being like, okay, this is a part of it because at first it, it was kind of like prove yourself. And then after it's just like, okay, you've done it. So now it's like, this is like the real stuff. So you got to like, you know, take a look at the bigger picture. So the like biggest thing, like the restaurant side of the business is so crazy to learn, but it's also very, very fascinating how it all works, especially when you have a really good team that makes everything a lot easier. And yeah, Ollie, sure. I, I, I've always said this. I don't think the average person knows how much work goes into throwing a successful like weekly party or a successful one-off like people yeah. just think you know you just sit on your phone you text a bunch of people to come out everyone comes gets drunk and that's it it's like right. behind the scenes there's so much more work that happens yeah like so much work there's like where like as you know like even when you were probably a part of it and georgie you'd know as well because you've been beside ricky and been on that front but yeah like it's every single waking moment your phone is non-stop always trying to build something the next week, making sure that you get new people in. And it's, yeah, it's the stress is up. Yeah. Yeah. You're also trying to do stuff that's not been done because eventually people get tired of doing the same thing over and over. So how do you change it? And I think one thing that's, well, from when we first started, like paid to party wasn't a thing when we started right in London, that's not a thing. Then you think about the sparklers that come out with the bottles. Right. Ten years ago, that that was basically nothing. You bring out a couple sparklers and that's it. Mm-hmm. Now every major liquor company's got their own sign. Or you know, we were just in Scottsdale and they have full on like people <laughs> dressing up like puppets and Elmo. Superman. Yeah, Elmo. Or the Cookie Monster. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I definitely got the Cookie Monster. Of to course, come on of course. That's this is a fat pitch shout out for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, like everyone has to get creative in their own ways, whether you're a restaurant, bar, nightclub, everyone has to have their identity. And like, obviously, the weekly things, you almost have to get creative. Obviously, 
you got to go back to old promo tactics always. Like everyone has a birthday. Everyone's celebrating something each week. So when you're in the know and with just such a strong brand that I'm just going to relate to being with Parlor is that like we have a strong brand. So so many people are reaching out to you wanting to celebrate, wanting to do those things, which makes it easier week in and week out. But then there's always new tactics that you can try and jump onto, whether it be those bottle presentations or uh, mid like party during the party up like yeah who knows well, you guys are doing the sabering now right a parlor. yeah so that was their big thing that I never really knew about what a saber was or what you could do I only saw some crazy stuff over Instagram here and there but they built a whole culture around it in Vancouver where people like people would be buying like 40 bottles of champagne a night just to saber them to try and hit this little sign that parlor made me do it and I guess like it grew but now obviously when we first started here in uh, Toronto, uh, Alfred and Sean always just kept saying to me, like, we got to do the Sabre and Sabre. And I'm like, oh, that's never going to work. What happens in the first week of opening? Alfred <laughs> opens up, like, whatever bottles, and we're Sabring left, right, and center. And it was like, Raptors playoffs. So when they run, <laughs> I Sabre probably 40 bottles of champagne <laughs> over the run. All he's sitting in the next meeting table. Tab, they looked at my promo tab after it was all done, and they're like, Okay, bro, you gotta chill. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is getting a little too aggressive right now, but yeah, it's it's those little things that obviously help people. It's obviously now with social media and content, that's a huge, huge thing as well, just to have around as well. I didn't even think about that. I I, I wasn't, to be honest, like when the Raps won in the playoff run, like I was fortunate to go to a couple games, but I didn't really spend any time like on King Street during that craziness. You guys, if you opened around May, June, like you were in the thick of that, eh? Oh, buddy. That was the blessing (laughs) for us not having, for all of our stress and unknown as like, it literally came to each state being like, are we opening? Are we opening? Hey, are we opening? And like, I remember the look that Sean used to give me and being like, fuck you, man, like, stop asking me. I don't know when it's going to happen. To just, like, a blessing in disguise where the Raps are on a roll, they're making, and literally we had all of the playoffs. Every It built within the first couple of games that, like, we had, like, the screens, the full sound, and by the end of it, playoffs, we were slammed. Every table sold out, uh, line up out the door, people all on there and just wanting to be a part of it because that was just such a magical thing to experience last year and be a part of it. Oh, definitely. Oh yeah. But I sorry, go George. No, no, no. Go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. I was gonna switch switch gears a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, you know, obviously sure. talking about hospitality. Uh, you know, Parlor's been a success. Give us kind of your rundown on on everything COVID nineteen. Like, when did you you know how did you guys sit down in a meeting and say okay you know we got to close or we're just gonna do takeout? I I saw some things online where you guys are. Uh, I guess, delivering pizzas and food to the people in the hospitality industry. But give us your thoughts, your takes, everything COVID-19 and how it relates to the hospitality industry. Yeah, as, as you know, like, obviously, we're faced with this, like, crazy pandemic that's just, like, put all of our lives on pretty much halt. If you're working, you're working. But the hospitality industry out of everything has just been hurting the most, I feel, because obviously your margins are so small and, like, most people are, like, you know, you live by like you live by the party, you live by so much going in. But uh, at the first part of it, we kind of knew on the March 14th, we started hearing all the rumblings once all the big St. Patrick's Day uh, parties were shutting down. And then it just trickled down to restaurants. We were hearing that by that Monday because uh, St. Patrick's stuff was happening around the 14th through 17th. But the actual 17th was when we're like, OK, uh closing doors they put that mandate like that mandate up that no one can open except for essential services of actually um serving food so just sitting there it was it was literally having to like lay off a lot of our employees obviously servers and chefs in back of house and only keeping like a smaller team just to work around our delivery and our takeout service on uber eats and doordash and just like i like talking with our gm since he's been on like the front lines of it um, every Wednesday through Sunday, he's he just says it's just crazy because obviously each day, like you're you're making X amount of like you used to be making X amount of money a week, 
which is paying your bills, paying your staff, everything that you see. And then well, your rent, so, right? Your rent is the biggest thing where it's now you're getting put down to an absolute minimum. Like I'm talking about like some places making up most of like a quarter million dollars. So you're only making like less than 10 grand a week. So when you're thinking of that, where yes, the rent, like rent, everything, like your whole world just gets put upside down, especially with like a new places that are opening, uh, you know, like you sur like everything you can't survive. So what I've been hearing rumblings about right now is that the government's working with the small business and something within hospitality to obviously rent freezes and everything else. But well, I guess we'll see what that happens and how that can roll out in the next little bit. But yeah, it's been a very tough adjustment, but the support right now that we've been getting has been awesome. And also with, from a lot of the alcohol companies that we've worked with have actually gave us uh, budgeting and like cool initiative programs to help a lot of our hospitality people and like staff to get a meal here or there, because obviously they're not making like any money right now, except for EI benefits that they've applied for them. So we've seen like some really cool initiatives come in that way. And we're also starting to launch a few for our healthcare workers, we're still doing a lot of stuff with Feed the Kids. So we're still trying to run a lot to try and help out and like to keep our brand alive. So yeah, hey, it's gotta it's gotta be a, I can't even imagine like the hospitality. Like we were saying even before this call, like King Street is is packed every night. And like I have a friend on uh, on Instagram that posted like a video up from uh, from their like uh, their their the condos up like the 34 faces west down King Street and at like 7 p.m. I think there's like one car, one person walking, which is yeah. which is crazy if you know what what goes on there on a, even nightly basis, never mind on the weekends. But I was going to add that it gets for you, I guess one like silver lining, correct me if I'm wrong, is that because you partnered with people here, I guess personally you're less exposed and it's got to give some comfort to know that you're with guys who have a kind of a reputation in the in the industry as a whole and have the years of experience that's got to be helping a little bit i, I guess uh, of course because like it, like even talking with uh, a couple of the guys say it's like how are you holding up how are you doing it's just like you can only think positive to like where it can be because like seriously it could be often worse situations but yeah being with a team that is experienced and knows what they're doing it makes everything that much easier but you got to feel for the people that like you know don't have a lot of this or have like a smaller business that like, you know, or don't have the right things in place that, you know, who knows in six months could actually shut down and actually talking about this with some people earlier today that like how many businesses will actually survive on King street when this is all over, because we don't know when we're actually going to be able to have people come into the restaurant again at the same capacity that we used to have. Like yeah. how is our whole, when would you guys feel comfortable actually going into like a restaurant again or a bar, maybe? Like as, as soon as Teresa Tam says I'm allowed to go out, I'm going out with bells and whistles, man. Well, hold, yeah. hold on, man. We just had okay. <laughs> they play devil's advocate here. We just had a doctor on here who literally said, "When things ease up, do not go rushing to like back to normal." Now that being said. Um, my opinion of it, I'm in the, I mean, I'm in the same boat. Mentally, you want to like, once you're free, you're like, oh, perfect. You can go back out. I think, you know, you have to really take it on a case by case basis. Like, I mean, if the Raps start playing again, am I rushing down like to go catch the first game at Scotiabank Arena? I don't know. That's a little bit like you're not going to go into a big crowd of 19,000 people to exactly. go support like a local restaurant, pop in maybe for a drink with your buddies to say hi, like, you know, to a place like Parlor. You know, that I think is a little bit easier. So, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd be the first guy down to King Street saying, let me make a reservation. Let me start partying. You know, you party, weaken your immune system from drinking, you're hungover, you catch this thing. Like, you never know, right? So, well, and, yeah. And, yeah, and that, and you're completely right. And that's the whole thing that we've always been thinking about because there's the highs of it where we're like, you know what? We're going to come back stronger. There's going to be everyone now, like when this is all over, they're going to party for three months straight. You hear so many people and like, you know, our optimism of that. But then... When like reality, when you start to think and you're reading reports and whatever ha happens, like what what stipulations are they going to come in? What is the general public <laughs> going to think? Because other than people that want to go out and drink and say like, hallelujah, this is over. There's going to be a majority <laughs> of the people that are staying at home and saying like, hey, I don't want to be a part of this right now because who knows if you're going to get sick unless there's an actual vaccine. 
Yeah. Then that's like, I feel is like our big thing that you're kind of waiting for. Yeah. Ollie, I, I can't remember if it was with you or somebody else, but we were talking about once they even do start letting people out, letting people go to restaurants, that they're going to be leaving spaces between tables. Right. And or there's going to be a distance between tables. And once you start doing that, there's a lot of restaurants that kind of are supper clubs that turn into parties at night. That'll kind of ruin the atmosphere if you're so far away from the next person. There's only 50 people in a restaurant that holds 500. It, it'll, it'll obviously hurt because then you're not drinking either. And correct me if I'm wrong, majority of money made at restaurants is from booze. And, right? so and when you, you're right. Go ahead, yeah. No, 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 you're right. And, and that's the thing where the unknown for us is like, what, what is going to happen? Are we like, is there going to be a certain capacity that the restaurant can actually hold? For us being a larger one that can hold up to 200 people on our main floor to like a place that only can hold like something like think about a 416 snack bar that can hold. That's like what I was just thinking. Maybe of, like yeah. 40 people in there. But then 40 people, if you've been to 416, it's such a small venue. So what's going to happen within there? Like it, it's it is so many unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hopefully hopefully if people obviously listening to this and everything just like staying home flattening that curve so obviously all this can maybe be resolved earlier but yeah we in the hospitality industry and entertainment we have like a very 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 long long battle ahead of us to see what happens it will be interesting for sure and that's what i was gonna add in like there's a lot of over the last i guess few years in toronto um you've seen that event like that that growth of like the snack bar type vibe like um, you know, that small, intimate atmosphere, the bar bukas, the 416 snack bar, uh, uh, you know, the places on Dundas and, and, and Queen West, like yeah. they're, they hold, you know, you pack in maybe 40, 50 people, but you're like, it's, it's communal tables pretty much. So it'll definitely be interesting too, because a lot of those small ones, some people open them as passion projects and they're, you know, they're bankrolling it themselves and now they're shut down. And what happens if people limit the, uh, like the space between to two, three feet per table, like those people are going to fit six people in a restaurant. So yeah, that's going to be interesting to yeah. see for sure. It's going to be, it's, it's scary, but like, hopefully, hopefully something comes out of this in the next little bit that makes us not have to do that because the whole biggest thing of like, your whole reason why you're going out is like the vibe and just the atmosphere of the whole place, right? Having yeah, it exactly. crammed and having those drinks or like when you're on a date with a girl or with your boys and you're like having those like intimate drinks with like your like with everyone and then the atmosphere of the room. If you don't have that anymore, then yeah, everything kind of just dies out. So right, and then you're just going for dinner and maybe one drink instead of dinner drinks turns into a table and then you got a booth and you're with your twenty closest friends. Right. Instead, now you might just be going for dinner and, and you're, you're having a glass of wine each and that's it. So yeah. it's, it's interesting to see what, what's going to come out of this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does like, I listen, I'm not going to quote any stats or anything medical on this because I don't, not any expert by any means, but it does appear from like the numbers coming out that it is, you know, looks like it's getting better. So, I mean, the, you obviously people are going to be cautious coming out of this naturally. Like I, you know, I go to the grocery store, I went Monday morning and like, People, they're letting in a certain amount of people. People are walking six feet apart in the store, like they're taking separate aisles. So I think once this goes, people are going to still be very conscious of how they, close they get to people, where they're going. But as summer approaches too, people tend to have very short-term memory, I feel like, today. So at least the younger generations, you know, the millennials, so to speak, the first little bit, they might be cautious. But, you know, once that weather heats up and everyone's kind of getting ready to go downtown, things change pretty quick, whether it's good or bad, it naturally you expect that it, it might happen if it clears up soon so we'll we'll see what what people take on this it'll be interesting for sure yeah and like for us like like now obviously in the first two weeks of this actually happening you have so much like uh, again there's always the unknown with this covid situation and you don't know what's really going to happen but at first we were just so optimistic and saying like oh this is going to be done within oh this will be done by may and then obviously the toronto and rob ford throws down the well june 30th is before gathering so that obviously affects us as well because anywhere of a gathering of more than 50 people but realistically now unless let's pray that they make a vaccine or something comes up but we're like sus suspecting that this might like last all the way past into september 
yeah. which, is, which is actually like a crazy thing. Like, and, and that's, that's just my mindset now on this. Like, I just think that it's like, you know, get through this and talking with my other events and my partners and other ventures that are within the industry and we're all in it. And just thinking like, we're writing 2020 off in so many ways, which wow. is, which is crazy because we don't know when's the next time like that. You're going to feel comfortable, like going to a music festival of like, let's just say a thousand people. Like yeah. even you said with sporting events, think about that. Like it's, it, it's a weird thing to think of right now. And obviously you want to pray for hope and the best, but in my eyes, it's like, that's some of the mindset now that I just, you have to look a bit more forward than these guidelines that they're putting on us right now. So you're taking like, you're taking the long approach where you're trying to, you're thinking more like, let me try to plan for the worst case scenario. So I don't think optimistically and disappoint myself. Is that kind of your view on it? Like plan for the worst right now? Of course, because literally the worst is already happening. So when, like, if we get that bear, like, I mean, if we get that, like, whiff of good news, then obviously we'll be more optimistic. But it's just right now, it's just the way that things are, and they just don't know. I, like, I can't see it clearing up anytime soon. But you know what? I've been wrong before. So, yeah, that's all we can do is hope. Ollie, yeah. you, met, you mentioned music festivals. Uh, let's, let's talk about Frank and how you got involved with Frank. You know, that's uh, obviously an exciting thing. We were originally scheduled to have you in right after Ultra. You're and right. Obviously, that got uh, that got canceled. Kai, Kai Bosch, us, yeah. Yeah, tell us the story how you met Frank, what it's like going on tour with him, some of the best places you've traveled. Because I think you've been to, I, I don't know, maybe a dozen unbelievable, you know, worldwide music festivals. So take us through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, me and Frank met. Ooh, back in I want to say maybe like eight years ago when actually I don't know if you guys remember this in London but they did the music festival Aries Fest which is kind of like one of the last festivals of the year it wasn't the burn your books one that they did in London but it was something similar that they did at London Music Hall uh Frank was a buddy of my one of my best friends growing up uh he played one of the opening slots got to meet him there and just kind of stayed in touch over the years. And then once I first moved into the city, we still stayed in touch a bunch. Uh, we obviously became friends with going out. And uh, the story the fall of 2018 was a big transitional year for myself. I actually didn't have a lot going on. His tour manager, he had just let go. And he just asked me, he had a show at Marquee in New York. And he goes, hey, do you want to come down and just tour manage with me? You have experience within the industry because obviously, as we all know, like we used to book shows back in London, know how the industry works. Plus, like you work in clubs and you know everything on the that end. So I was like, yeah, it can't be too hard. So <laughs> go down to Mar- <laughs> go go down to Marquee, New York. Have uh, he has like a couple uh, Sirius XM radio interviews. So we're like there inside doing all this stuff. Um, with those guys. So that was like such a little cool experience so much at the first, I'm in New York city where I haven't really traveled or partied really before that. So it was kind of such like a surreal experience, obviously getting put up in like an awesome hotel for the night. Obviously you're playing marquee, which is one of the main nightclubs within the like industry. A little bit better strolling into uh, your hotel than your girlfriend's parents house at 3 (laughs) a.m. Yeah, totally right. Like I'm staying at three <laughs> hotel in uh, downtown. It's a little bit more of a flex when you like walking by. But uh, no, I I'll never forget it. And the first thing, obviously, the transition. I forget the DJ that was playing before, but this guy was just hammering it out. And I'm like, this guy is like a loser. Like <laughs> like slow down. Like it sounds like, it sounds like she's back in his. I was just like, going to say, that's George. You play bangers. Before oh, yeah, I was the headliner. Hard. Never mind Steve Angelo. I was the headliner. Yeah, right? And literally, I remember going up to the guy. I'll try and remember his name, but I remember going up to him. You know, you do like the handshake, uh, just saying what's up. And like literally tell him like, yo, slow it down a bit. Like, we're, like we're, you're playing all the bangers. Yeah, and it was such a big show because uh, his manager, his manager, the whole Palm Tree crew was in in New York on that day because everyone had meetings for Frank. So it's like a big show. We had all these radio bigwigs, uh, like 
all the big guys in the industry because a lot of people like work in New York. And then obviously the guy comes off, I put in the USB, but like he had flicked something on the one U, uh, CDJ and it like, I like set Frank's stuff up, hit his like play button to go. And it's like fast forwarding, doing something. And it's sounding like absolute garbage. And I'm like, Oh my God. And like, Anyway, we fixed it. The show was unbelievable. It was a sold out. We had so many friends in the audience, but like that was my first little like uh, experience with Frank Walker. And then after that, we moved on to a few extra shows throughout the year of 2018. And then in 2019, at the beginning, he asked me to come on full time and do it like seriously because he had a huge, huge tour coming up uh, all throughout North America with Felix Cartel. And then that's like where I guess it all really, really started with them. We toured all over the U.S., all over Canada, doing like two to three shows over a, like over a weekend. We had some like crazy routing. Obviously, we might we'll probably get into some crazy stories, but um, yeah, that was my first real touch of it all. And then like we, 2019 was the big year. Like obviously with touring with him, and then. Uh, at the end of 2019, probably one of the coolest places at the end where we actually got uh, our agent and uh, his manager got a whole Scandinavian tour. So we got to go over to Norway and Sweden, which was an, such a surreal experience, like probably one of the best experiences I've had in my whole entire life of like just traveling. And obviously you're over there with like your boys and having a good time. But I uh, got to see some really cool parts of the world over there and got to meet some incredible people. So that was definitely a highlight of it all right now. How awesome. How long was the tour in Norway and Sweden? How many shows you guys play? Uh, what did we do? I think we did about six, spanned over three weeks. Uh, if I'm like remembering correctly here, uh, what do we do? We did, we did about four in Norway and then another two or three in Sweden. We played this like crazy, so it's called this Roosh Party, Roosh Party, I guess they'll kill me if I pronounce Man, it. Man, I actually know what that is, that's so funny. Okay, so it's literally a high, it's like your high school final year before you're graduating, and they, it's like, when you're in that final year, it's like a year-long party, technically, it's just these, it's basically like all and your And they high set up like buses and stuff too, yeah, right? it's crazy, so they... So that's the thing. So it's like you have all your different teams and buses on your different high schools. And then so your high school would have like four or five different buses of just like your crews. Right. And they and deck them out, like spend like 10, 20,000 euros. Like, yeah, like crazy buses. Yeah. Dollars. And then there's these Roosh DJs. I'm probably mispronouncing. I think you are butchering it. I've heard it said I, properly. And I, I don't think it's like Roosh, that. Roosh. Anyway. These DJs then create songs for the buses. And these DJs are, like, huge because the one guy that we met over there, I think he was, like, 38, but he's, like, he looked like he was a little younger, but it looked like a party years, like, this guy's been going. <laughs> anyway, so this guy has, like, made, like, famous songs. And I'm telling you, like, Frank was headlining the show, and then they had this Roosh DJ on after, and this guy... Like, people were singing his songs, jumping up and down. Like, these guys are famous over there. Like, almost as big as, like, Martin Garrix, Tiesto, that, like, usually... Play, yeah, like, man, it's crazy. Party. Yeah, so that was, like, that was, like, grade nine massive dances, like, on steroids. Because these kids just get buckled. And just, <laughs> like, are falling over. And they have costumes and, like, uniforms oh, and everything. It is... It is such a sight to see, and when we launch our whole video series, there's like our whole Scandinavian tour. You guys gotta watch it. It is like the footage we got at some at that at those parties were like pretty, pretty intense. And then I guess our next like one of the next biggest things was we had uh oh going to Bergen, chilling with Kygo, Ricky, your favorite. No, I was just yeah. gonna say, Ricky knows all this stuff about Norway because Kai goes his biggest, his biggest fan. So he, like, knows, Kai goes my biggest everything. fan. No, sorry, guys, you know, I'm butchered now, but you know what I meant. Rick knows everything. He's at the edge of his phone right now, listening to this whole story about Norway, just waiting for you to drop Kai go in there somewhere. No, no, it's actually funny because I don't remember if it was all if it was your story or Kai goes, but Frank and Kai go did like a back to back in like some random basement. 
yeah, party uh, or something. Okay, basement so, club or something. Yeah, so we'll go through a bit of that day. So, so we fly into Bergen, and uh, we came in a day earlier because uh, Frank and I had been talking with Kira and literally being like, "Hey, let's hang out a bit," and like he wanted to show us the whole town. So that's what was pretty cool. And like, let me tell you, like when this guy walks around the streets, like people are like, "Oh my God, that's him!" Like that's this like Sidney Crosby for this, Norway. Oh yeah, this guy is straight up a legend he is the king of bergen (laughs) like just getting to like experience and hear a bunch of stuff like we went uh actually it was my birthday on that night and we went for dinner uh we didn't go to dinner with kygo but he met up with us after but we went for dinner and then we went to like this little bar and like people are like looking across the thing being like hey is that him hey is that him but like very chill atmosphere there like we're playing like shuffleboard. Like we played a lot. They're into shuffleboard in like, <laughs> Scandinavia. That's the so, standard like, cruise sport. When you're on a cruise, you play shuffleboard. Buddy, you're in Scandinavia. You're playing that as your pre, <laughs> your post, like everything. It is shuffleboard 24 seven. So you got to be good. Kai so the, DJing it, got... the, the shuffleboard champion of Norway <laughs> birthday party or something. Like... <laughs> but, yeah, but no, it was uh, crazy. But the next night we had the show at this uh at this like literally it's a house it was called lily and uh, it, it was we played in this upstairs like like literally the room held maybe 60 people <laughs> but like they put in like full little like production for it like lighting they had the, it was like a little dj booth that looked like the size of like the president's like you know like stand where he like podium put, yeah like it was so hilarious Anyway, we like Frank just rocked the whole party. Alan Walker, that's from uh, Bergen as well. He came out. The boys just had so much fun. All of Kygo's buddies were there, and we just partied and just had like such a good time. The energy in the room was great. Frank played more of like I'd say like I if you want to like throw it back to the Sig House basement rave days. Oh yeah, just like house party vibes. So much fun, and we actually broke one mixer. And one CDJ because someone had poured a drink on it, so it over fried, and it was such a disaster. But we made it work, and like uh, it was yeah, it was such a cool experience. And just hanging with that, like the crew, and like seriously, he's one of the nicest guys in the world. And just like just was so happy that we were there, and like it was his hometown. And like he's like that was the most fun I've had in so long. It was such a cool experience. That's gotta be surreal, man, playing with that guy too, because like. I mean, even Frank, like, I, you know, at first when he was coming up, I obviously knowing music, I knew a bit about him, but like the last couple of years I've seen his like songs all over Spotify and climbing the charts. So for him to be playing with like the arguably the biggest guy, Kygo, and like in, in house music today, it's got to be that's in his yeah. hometown. Like that's something that you like, that stays with you forever for sure. That's like, oh, that's yeah. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. One of his top. Yeah. One of the coolest experience and just being get to witness it and be beside it is just something surreal where it's like you're like you don't think about it at the time but then like in these days of quarantining and like self-isolation when you're looking back at those you're like did that just did that actually happen sometimes you have to pinch yourself when you're in these situations and like at these amazing like spots in the world clubs and like the people that roll through or that are there you're kind of like is this actually happening right now like, yeah like there's and i mean you you've been in this industry for a long time so I, like you know i mean i can say personally i know you you got a, a book full of stories too but um you know we'll save we'll save a couple of those for the, for the next one as well because like i don't know if we're gonna top a, a kaigo story i know that just made ricky's night right there no <laughs> no Ali, i was gonna say do you remember when we had sunnery james and ryan marciano like dj in your basement at that after party oh it was buddy like thanksgiving weekend 2000 2011, I think. It was me, you, and Georgie. We're the only yeah, people working those, Cobra that those night. Those guys were sick. Oh, yeah. And, like, they, they, like, some of the best memories coming from Cobra. Like, think about how blessed we were back then. Yeah. To, like, like, big shout out, I'll have to say, to all the those guys from Cobra that, like, really built the scene. What was it? Not 34 best club in the world? 44, boys, and the number one resident right here. Yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. B, baby. Oh, man. Like, oh, yeah. I, I couldn't believe that. That was crazy. 
Like I, rem- I remember talking with Maddie when he was opening it. He's like, I want you to run the Fridays. I'm like, I'll do it. He's like, I'll help you. I'm like, I got to get my boy, sickest DJ in London. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, George, he's Greek, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, he's good. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was your, it was CDN and Crown that ran the Yeah, man, it was the size. Yeah. That Those was were, oh, but like, yeah, yeah that I was like. I have all the frames in my basement. They're still up on the wall. Every yeah. DJ that came through there. But when you think about, yeah, like that, we had Sunday James Ryan Marciano back at my place for an after party, just spinning shooting this shit, having a good time. Oh, man. That was the first time I ever heard their music, or I think I might have listened before they played. And I, like, dude, they, they played their tribal house set. I thought oh. it was one of the best sets I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. They're, I agree. They're, uh, they're amazing. It's, yeah. I remember, I knew nothing about them, and I'm like, Ollie, like, who are these guys? Ollie, you sent me, like, some random set that they played a month before, and I was like, okay. I can dig this. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, the party's going to suck, though. It's like Thanksgiving, Friday. Everybody's went home. Turns out it was like slammed. And we ended yeah. up, yeah. And the, um, we'll save, we'll save the, the after party story for another night. I got a, I got a funny one, boys. Just to, just to circle back to Ollie's story of Marquee. I think this is a good way to kind of cap this. So you made a point at Marquee about how the DJ was, you know, playing it too too big for the opener. So I like I, I'm perfectly comfortable admitting this. Like I had that same mentality when I used to when I was coming up. My ego grew very fast. Obviously, George's head couldn't fit through the door. And guys, I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I'm opening for Max Vangeli, like one of the sets I'm playing, and I I can't remember what I was playing. It was just straight bangers, like a Vici kind of. <laughs> Max taps you on the shoulder. He goes, "Hey, he goes, I'm going on to one song. Can you bring it down a bit?" I was like, I was like, I got this, Max. I think I played one last banger, and he's like, "Dude, what the hell?" I was like, "All right, man, enjoy." And I just walked. I was like, I did not give a hoot or a heck. I was so dumb. Buddy, no, George, didn't that was your club, right? Like, yeah, still, like, I (laughs) didn't know better. In hindsight, that was the dumbest thing ever, but hey, it's worth it. I showed Max Jelly's boss. George, was it you or somebody else, one of our other buddies, that played? A, like a remix of a song that the DJ who was coming on later. Gareth Emery. I played this you? song. Yeah. Without even realizing, I played a song. Ollie, remember the song Children, I think? I can't oh. remember who it's by. It's like, it's like a Euro song that was mashed up. Yeah. My brother tells me about it for the Gareth Emery show. He's on his way from Kingston. He's like, he's like, hey, this song's sick. So I heard it. I was like, oh, this is like a retro song. I played it, opening for Gareth Emery. He opens his set with that song. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, oh, my brother. I was like, when did this come out? And he goes, yesterday on on, on uh, Beatport. I was like, you idiot. Because, oh. oh, my God. But, like, man, like, to be honest, you as an opening DJ is the hardest <laughs> effing job in the game. And yeah. there's only a few guys that know how to do it so well. And I'll give a shout-out to Mendes down at live miami he's one of the best in the game but man like that's just so funny going back to them just thinking about those stories like oh man good times i will one thing i guess the last one the ollie i will never forget this is that one day after a set i don't remember when it was and i swear to god i remember this verbatim you told me you're like george you go i love you but like you and you open a lot of shows, but you got to learn to take people on a journey as the opener. You're like, you, your songs are sick, but you can't come out with these bangers. Take people on the journey and they'll appreciate it more. I swear to God, you said that to me. And I was like, okay, I, I know what he means. I got to chill out with these like, playing like levels to open a set. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, man, that, that was a huge thing because like, just, yeah, just the experience within it. And like, man, like. Back then, we were just a bunch of rave monkeys, just always going to stuff, gov, all that. And I remember doing, but I remember listening to a documentary or something, uh, a BBC one, and then it was literally like they said. They said just what I said before that the opening DJ has, and you just got to take them on that thing. And then obviously, the the headliner is the headliner. But George, in my eyes, you were always the best. So <laughs> let me Thanks, tell man. you, Frank. You Thanks, Frank, you hearing that? Frank, you hearing that? <laughs> Yeah. All his favorite DJ. I'm out of retirement, boys. I might come out of retirement and be Frank Walker's opening DJ from now on. Well, yeah. Well, like, well, we have a lot of quarantine uh, live sets, so maybe we just get back into it, and we'll just like. Four. <laughs> Let's oh, get it man. going. Oh, boys. Uh, oh, hey, that was good. I, I that was a great, great. I was good an hour. That was that was good. Yeah, great conversation. Oh, but great before conversation. we uh, before we wrap up, Ollie. Yeah, uh, we, we actually, Georgie, we haven't asked, asked a lot of people this question lately, but um, Ollie, if there's one thing you could tell your younger self, yeah, what would it be? Ooh, ooh, ooh. My younger self, 
Don't live in your parents, uh, your girlfriend's parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> or, or something like you would tell a younger person that in your position, somebody coming up through promoting like you did, who's, you know, eyeing, Even trying to get into ownership yeah. or something. Yeah, like what, what would you give to a younger, younger Ollie? Seriously, just always, like, for what I always had, that, like, just keep the hustle going. And then eventually it will all work out. There were so many times where, you know, like I thought I had to go up into a corporate world job and this wasn't for me. But I just kept to it and literally just keep the hustle going. And then, you know, what will all turn out? And then, like, like things, thing. everything happens for a reason, man. But just keep hustling and, like, don't give up on it. Like, that's, I know a lot, that's pretty cliche to say. But out of all my years of, like, going through the ringer of the promoting and being a part of, like, so many things and, you know, the highs and lows, but stuck with it. And, well, here today, so and uh, have a lot of great stories and a lot of amazing things to tell from it. So, and stuck with it. So it was cool. Very That's cool. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. Ollie, this is, this is great, man. Always a pleasure to catch oh, up. Thank yeah. you so much, guys. I've been like, I've been listening, big fans, love what you guys are doing. Uh, like seriously, keep it up at all. Like right now we have nothing to do but listen. So if everyone just keep listening because these guys are doing a great job. Appreciate Aww. it. The kind <laughs> words from Ollie. Hey, buddy, <laughs> for, my, for my two guys, for my two guys. Appreciate it, pal. Yeah. Of Again, course. Uh, All right, great, boys. Great conversation, and uh, I guess that's it. Signing off, pals. Yeah, yeah, signing off. See you guys. Cheers. See you, pals. You like to drink and to smoke to take away the pain. And I don't remember all of my mistakes in every eye. I got alone, no one thing.